Tifano. Um, today I want to talk about a little bit about my mum uh, and I want to talk about egg sandwiches. Now I have a particular liking for egg sandwiches and if I go to a cafe I'll often order egg sandwiches which is silly because you can get them, you can make them at home. But I want to take you back to my 10-year-old Jenny. Um, Ten-year-old Jenny was obsessed with horses. She had a pony of her own. I don't know how I got a pony because I'm one of six and it's kind of a little bit more spent on a pony than music classes or rugby or other things, but somehow the others didn't seem to notice that I had a pony. And I spent many, many, many hours um, riding and grooming and loving and tending my pony. Um, sometimes I would spend so much time at it that I would forget to eat. And um, I might come home and I'd be tired and I'd be hungry. And there was an occasion when I came home like this and I must have been rude or grumpy or something because um, I found myself in my, in my room and the door was closed. And um, I was sulking and sad and hungry, and I knew I'd sort of not been my best self. Um, and there was a knock on the door, and what was happening there was mum was at the door, and she had a tray, and on the tray was a plate of egg sandwiches. And the egg sandwiches had the crusts cut off, which is actually quite important. When you're one of six, you often don't get crusts cut off and they had parsley in them. I mean, kind of ridiculous, but all of those signaled something really important to me. And what they were saying was, mum was offering this olive leaf. She knew I was stuck. She wasn't waiting for me to apologize. She was front-footing a connection with me. And I was totally disarmed by it and felt closer and more connected and more loved and, I, you know, I probably said, sorry, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Sorries weren't easy to come by for me. But I felt drawn in by my mum's offering of egg sandwiches. And that very, very ordinary uh, moment in my life has kind of been an anchor to me. Now, I know Mother's Day is wonderful, and it's also hard there's often a longing that's brought out in, in Mother's Day. You long for something that maybe you didn't get breakfast in bed, but maybe you want to be a mum, or there's stuff that's going on in your life that's hard. And I just think that we, yeah, we need to remember that we're known and we're seen and we're loved wherever we are on Mother's Day. I really appreciate what my mum did. I never even told her that that was a great moment. And it wasn't until later in my life that I actually put it together that that very ordinary extension of love softened my heart and brought me closer to her. And I think it's been something that I've... Go back to the situation. It's when you've got Buffy here. Somebody even in a, in a cafe the other day when we were paying said, it's the lady with the fluffy hair? Hmm. <laughs> Boy, it was a bit, I had to think about that one. <laughs> um, on my 40th, um, Stuart had put together a slideshow 
Um, and the, there was a reel of things that I'd done with my kids. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we live with a critical voice, and I think mums are quite good at it, where we can beat ourselves up a bit. But when everyone had gone home, I watched the reel, the slideshow, and of course it was highlights. Um, but in the highlights, I got a sense of, oh, actually, I have been okay. I have been um, attending my kids, or we've made some memories, and there's been some fun, there's been some good times. Sometimes on the short reel, you remember the shouting and the, the fact that you were irritated with your kids or stuff like that. In the long reel, sometimes you get a chance to see that actually you are engaged with your kids, and you do think about them a lot, and you do love them dearly, which is really awesome. I, um, Stuart and I went to um, Barcelona a few years ago when you could travel, and we went to the Sagrada Familia, and I was pretty blown away. Um, and then I started reading some of the quotes of the famous Spanish architect, Antonio Gaudi. And something is deposited, you know, I love quotes, and I'm often reading them, but he said something amazing. First, there must be love, then there must be technique. And I think it's a great reminder for someone who was building something so incredible that he saw what we really needed to lead with, which is love. And often, you know, in our messy parenting, the things we do and don't do, sometimes we just come back to, you know, I love my kids. Maybe I don't enjoy them as much as I'd like to, but I love them dearly. And today I want to call out the gold that's in um, in the midst of us, in the mums today. And you know, I'm really impressed, but I get to walk alongside um, mums in the struggle and mums doing the hard mahi, um, but they invite help. I'm really honoured that mums put up their hand. Maybe they make the booking first to see me, or maybe they reach out to a friend to talk about the stuff that isn't working well. And I think there's something very humble about doing that, realising you've reached a point where you're at your wit's end, or you've tried this, or you've tried that, and you've decided, you know what, I'm going to subcontract. I'm going to get somebody else's insight, somebody else to, to help me along. And I think mums are really good at seeing a bigger dream. Uh, at Parenting Place, where I work, one of the questions, a big question I ask parents when they um, see me online now, is what is your dream for your kids? What would you like to see if they were about to leave home, if they were, say, 18 plus? And I get downloaded the most amazing treasures. And there are things like, I would love it if our kids have a good relationship with us. If they want to come back home, when they leave home, they're still feeling like home is a good place to be and they return home. I want my kids to be kind and loving and thoughtful and generous, so they'll often use words like that. And of course we want our kids to be happy and confident and resilient. That comes through, but they are often touching on the passion they want their kids to have um, and the connection that they want to have with their kids. And, you know, I'm scribbling these down, and I've sort of gone back as I prepared for this talk and read through some of them and have been blown away by um, the things that mums want for their kids. And I think mums are pretty good at doing the juggle. I anyone who gets to church or gets to a meeting or gets to the shops who does anything, 
has a juggle going on. And one of the hard things about, I think, being a mother is that you are all the time working out, have you placed yourself well enough in each of the areas that you have to, to grapple with? Have you juggled well enough? And, you know, if we've got a critical voice, we're always going to feel a little bit uh, like we didn't quite make it. And then, of course, we're told that we've also got to take care of ourselves and be loving and kind towards ourselves, and we're sort of checking whether we're doing that. And there is this amazing juggle that's going on. I think mums are really good at listening and pressing pause. You know, your 10-year-old perhaps comes home, whatever age they are, and says something like, no one would play with me today. And I mean, that usually sends a bit of panic into our... Sorry, guys. Fluffy here. It usually sends a panic and we think, you know, I'm going to interrogate them. I'm going to ask them, who were, were they being kind? Were they being friendly? Do we, do we need to email the teacher? You know, do we need to arrange for a play date? We start to scramble. And then after we've sort of done that through our heads, and there's a lot that rolls through our heads, I think we start to let a few things drop. And we remember that actually all our kids need is for us to be with them and to be comfortable in their discomfort. And we sit with them in their pain and in their loss and in their hard times. And maybe later on we, we, we give out our, our ideas because we've got great ideas. But I think we've got to just pausing and being able to say, yeah, that's really hard. And um, a book that I've been reading, um, thank you, Angelica, Lisa Marciano says in her book, It's Motherhood, that, that our inability to tolerate our children's discomfort teaches them that discomfort is intolerable. But when we learn to sit with discomfort, we teach our kids that some discomfort and some struggle is tolerable if you have someone with you who shares it, and I think mums are awesome at doing that. I think they're also awesome at looking beneath their own behaviour. You know, every day you could just about say, you'll go through the day and you'll think, darn it, that wasn't my best day, that wasn't my best parenting, that wasn't my best loving. And, you know, when you're angry at your six-year-old because you're telling them to clean their teeth again, and every day they clean their teeth before they go to school, but again, it's coming through and you are finding the resistance there and you are very tempted to yell or to panic because when you see the six-year-old, you often see the 16-year-old and you think, if I can't manage a six-year-old, what am I gonna do with a 16-year-old? And then you know that your anger is actually attached to anxiety and that you settle down and you Decide that, yeah, maybe you'll investigate and, and, and get someone to help you with the things that have been hard for you, the, um, yeah, the anxiety. And I love that we will do the personal work. And parenting, I don't actually know how you do it without a bit of personal work. There are some things that I think mums should keep in mind because I think we can be hard on ourselves. Um, years ago, when our son Michael was in, he was studying medicine, and it's a long study. It takes, you know, at least six years. And uh, he's having quite a lot of fun while he studies. He's bringing friends around to study in a group way. And he's playing his guitar a lot. 
And sometimes I've even knocked on the door and gone into the room and he's praying. And so Stuart and I were both complicit in this, but we panicked quietly. There was a lot of time involved and expense involved, and we'd often say to him, just quietly over the six years, Michael, are you studying hard enough? Are you going to get through this year? Because it's going to be hard if you don't. And he did get through, and at the end of it, he said something that I will never forget, one of those moments which you are sort of deeply moved by, but also kind of putting on the back burner. And he said, Mum, I wish you'd believed that I'd got this. It really touched me deeply because what I was doing was acting in the most responsible manner I could, but I was kind of chipping away at, are you sure? Uh, Come on, this isn't enough. And so slowly over those years, I think he was getting the sense of we don't think you're capable or you've got this. You know, our kids really want to know that we think they're capable, that they've got this, but it's hard when the stakes are high. So that's one I'm sharing because you might be able to uh, miss that one out. There's There's a friend guilt in parenting. Some people will tick that box when I ask them about how they're doing in their parenting styles and guilt comes through quite a lot, and it feels like a rite of passage. You know, sometimes guilt's all right because it actually motivates us to change, but sometimes it's not great. It's debilitating, and it's with us day after day after day, and I think that rightly so, we need to kick it to the curb. Knowing that we are imperfect every day of our lives, the way we do life, um, but knowing that we can reach out You know, I think we're also quite good at comparing ourselves. Everybody does this. Maybe mums do it a bit more. Where you wonder if that family in the supermarket, their child ever has tantrums. You wonder if what you're seeing on display and the beautiful playing in the park and the siblings holding hands, you wonder sometimes um, whether that's their total life that you're seeing. And so we compare ourselves with others. A lot. And you know, I've loved a book, and it's, it's Charlie Mackesy's, and it's got a horse and a mole and a boy and a fox in it, and I don't know what order they're in. But he just says something quite profound. He says, or one of the animals says, what do you think is the biggest waste of time? Comparing yourself to others. And I think that's very freeing when we realise we're not meant to compare ourselves to others. You know, sometimes you do really well, you'll think, actually, I'm quite, quite superior, quite good in my parenting realm. And other days, you will feel like you've really messed up. And so it's not a great yardstick to use. So we can kick that one to the, the curb as well. You know, I've been really interested in, in that anchor that mum gave me all those years ago but in also listening to God's voice, and we often do it through somebody else, or sometimes it's hard to hear God's voice because we've had father figures or mother figures where we've started to interpret God the same. But, you know, one of my big quests at the moment that I, I try and do almost daily is joining God in seeing myself as God sees me and agreeing with God as he sees me, because I've got my own version. And then I go back to see, what is God's version of how he sees me? 
And I have learning, I'm learning to listen and see that that voice of God is loving and freeing and kind and gentle and motivating and validating. So where do we go from here? There is lots of hope in parenting. Even if you're in a, you know, as Mary prayed, there are struggles and there are hard things about um, being a mum. But we get a chance almost every day to press play again. We start a new day and we repair stuff. The, the things that have been ruptured, the things that have been hard that we haven't done as well as we wanted to, we get to repair them. And our wonderful children are often so buoyant and ready to face us for another day. And I, I think that's awesome. We also get to keep journals. Now, I sometimes tell a parent deliberately to keep a journal and remember that in any day, there are smiles that you've given. You sang a song as you nudged a child into a car seat. You gave your heart to your child in some fashion. You went to the library, you read them a book, you made some food, you did some ordinary moments. And I think we should capture the ordinary moments and write them down because we have a critical uh, voice that's often competing. I believe we need to hold ourselves very kindly and with lots of acceptance. You know, today might stir up some stuff for you and there's always a wonderful opportunity at St Augustine's to get prayed for. So that, that will happen at the end of the service if something is just freshened up for you. But I had a, um, a busy mum of three. She had three children under three. So I was thinking she needed a medal just for that. But she uh, spoke to me online. She was somewhere in the South Island. And she was finding herself doing the very things that she hated. She was kind of, you know, how the broken record sometimes repeats itself. I found myself saying things to our kids that I said, I'm never going to say that. And you realise all of a sudden that, that little trigger's gone off and the words stayed there. All those years, it took 13 years for some of the words to come out in me. But this mum was really beating herself up and feeling almost a sense of disdain or contempt. But she knew that that kept her in a prison. So I would say, if beating yourself up works, go for it. But I actually think that there are some better ways of, of navigating being a mum. And it is treating yourself kindly and with acceptance. Um, and so, yeah, that, that first one is um, don't lose your momentum because you're remembering all the things that you did wrong. But actually, almost ask yourself, what would my best friend, what would one of my beautiful friends say to me um, if I shared with them that I was having a hard day or I'd done things this way or that way? And I've had my friends do this to me, and I am so grateful for them. Those who have been able to say, Jenny, everybody makes mistakes. I've got a bigger one. I've, got, I've made more mistakes than you have. Much, much better than that. And they've given me a sense of it's okay. You know, you'll get through this. There's some other things that you could do. But just holding you. And I think, wouldn't it be neat if we tapped in to the voice 
that was like a best friend. So sometimes I'll just say to a mum, speak to yourself as though you were your best friend talking to you. And it takes a bit of practice and you've got to run up and down that little groove quite a lot in order to have that voice really resound in you. But I just, yeah, feel like we, we need to do that. And, you know, as we listen to that voice, often it's so close to the voice of God that it starts to open up the door to how God is speaking to us. And often we need a human to do that for us so that we are captivated and softened like I had my mum's voice all those years ago that gave me that sense of you know what I think she is loving me unconditionally I think I haven't earned this I think I was actually rather rude but that sense of she front-footed the connection has been amazing and when you think of the probably my most favorite story in the Bible in Luke 15 where there's the prodigal son and he's gone off and he's wasted all the money and then his father has seen him coming home you know before his father ran to him he didn't say gosh I hope he's sorted his life out and I hope he's ready to repent and I hope he's got his sorry ready his father touched him first with compassion and he didn't know any of the state of his heart he reached out in compassion first and don't we all need that compassion that softens our hearts when our friend or our father in heaven reaches us and there's love first it's led with love we can sort out some of the stuff later and so coming back to that unconditional love and acceptance, um, Robert Farah Capon is somebody that I've been reading some of his quotes. This one was a few years ago, and every now and then I put it on the fridge because it's good for me. Because I have a tendency to fall into that camp of, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Is, there, is the list long enough of good things that I've done? You know, I love productivity. So that often puts things on a list for me. But this is what he says. Sorry, it's a bit long. <clears throat> Lord, please restore to us the comfort of merit and demerit. Show us that there is at least something we can do. Tell us that at the end of the day, there will, it be, there will at least be one redeeming card of our very own. Lord, if it is not too much to ask, Send us to bed with a few shreds of self-respect upon which we can congratulate ourselves. But whatever you do, do not preach grace. Give us something to do, anything, but spare us the indignity of this indiscriminate acceptance. And I've let that slowly ebb into my spirit that perhaps I am indiscriminately accepted before I've proved myself good or faithful or fully repentant or, or whatever it is. Perhaps I'm being drawn first. You know, that very mum who I, I spoke of was reaching into that, that well where it was, I need to tap into something that changes the way I think about myself so that I can offer this to my, my children. And as I just start to wrap this up, you know, I had a, a mum with 
um, just sharing something kind of delightful and funny because she was laughing. But she, at the um, end of last year, and I mean, COVID hasn't been all that much fun for, for most families. Some families have thrived on it, but I haven't, I haven't spoken to many of those. Um, but anyway, this three-year-old needed some motivation to do better and to be kinder and more loving with his older sister. So she thought that if she got out the, the Santa's list, the be nice or be naughty, you know, I've been nice, I've been naughty, and she thought that that would nudge him into some more beautiful behaviours and he would try and get his name on the list a little bit more often. But what she found that it didn't do that at all. He found himself deciding that his sister belonged on the naughty list. He was getting lots on the nice list. And it brought out the sense of the scarcity. There's not enough for both of us. And I'm going to start separating. And you go there and I'll be here. And I thought how easy it is to do that when we, we start to separate and put people in groups. You're in, you're out. You belong, you don't belong. You're good, you're bad. And it's messier than that. And so she found that putting the lists away was actually um, brought a whole lot more harmony and peace. Um, in your life. And I think it reminds us that we all are deeply loved and accepted, deeply loved and accepted and known. We are known for all the things we do and all the things we think, all the things we've forgotten to do and all the things we've overdone. We're known so, so well and loved despite of it. And I think that today's an invitation to tap again into that love that is for us. And as we see ourselves on that, on that, that list, um, I think that settles everything and gives us peace and rest and something to go on with. So happy Mother's Day, everybody. Thank you.